Welcome to the Energy Disruptors podcast. I'm Alex hogbein Rudder, and I'm delighted today to be with Anita George, co-founder of Adina. Uh, today's episode is on changing the landscape for sustainable investments. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, and Anita's got an incredible journey, uh, incredible career in this space. Uh, so why don't we start with that? Can you tell us a little bit about your, your journey so far? So I guess I've been involved in financing for many years, but I started my career in the steel industry. And if one needed to get a first-hand exposure to a lot of smoke and fumes, <laughs> that was the industry to be in. And uh, something about having an opportunity to make a difference mm -hmm. and make things cleaner, better, more inclusive, that has always been a passion with me. And it's interesting because in the world of hard-nosed finance, especially 30 years back right. when I started my career, it wasn't uh, very fashionable to talk about social impact or governance. Mm. So uh, in a sense, I think that intuition that if you do things in a certain way, your outcomes will be far better. Uh, is something that I'm so delighted to see has now become mainstream. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and so, I mean, tell us a little bit more in terms of how it's, how it's become mainstream and, and your kind of role in that. So uh, I guess uh, to be uh, chronological, back in the 2000s, um, you know, I was working in IFC. We were working on large hydro and mm. coal projects. That was uh, the energy sector. Right. In transportation, it was really, uh, again, uh, you know, the rail sector was one, but more of it was really highways and Absolutely. roads and creating connectivity. Uh, similarly, in telecom, it was still fixed line. <laughs> that was the norm. Uh, over time, I realized that, you know, there were new technologies emerging. And of mm. course, right now, mobile telephony seems something that everybody has and uses. Yeah. But back then, it was a new technology. And I remember I was at Siemens, and we had huge debates about whether mobile telephony will ever surpass fixed line. Right. And what we've seen, obviously, ha has been a whole change. Uh, similarly, in uh, we were fortunate being in IFC, I was able to finance the first megawatt of commercial solar, which happened oh, really? to be, yes. In which, where was that? In India. In India. In okay. India. And it was uh, IFC's first megawatt of commercial solar. And since you've also been in IFC, That's Alex, right. you can imagine that it was not an easy thing to do because the technology in emerging markets was still early. Yeah. It had it was proven, it was deployed. I had the good fortune again being with IFC to travel to the US, to Germany, to Spain, uh, to see how solar was deployed and right. wind. So um it was actually quite uh, an experience to then take that leap of faith and say, this these are technologies that are here to stay. They are right. evolving in terms of the cost trends, even from the early 2000s to 2009, when we did the first megawatt of solar, uh, we could see that there was a downward trend in terms of costs. Right. And so um, 
that was a very exciting moment and i think what was really good was that uh, firstly <laughs> this investment itself was very successful mm-hmm. and that's something that i've always felt that if you do the right kinds of investments early on uh, and you track trends you get enough positive proof right that right. this works then um, it's it's a matter of time and the rest of the world catches up Well, it does seem sometimes like the the debate has been won in some sense, where people are saying, yes, we need to stop funding coal projects, we need to start funding, you know, solar and wind and storage. But at the same time, we're still not at the scale we need, right? This this hundred billion climate finance that was promised still isn't showing up. Um, you know, we're still seeing an order of magnitude differential between what we need to meet the one point five degree targets versus what we're currently investing in in climate finance. So, so where why is there this disconnect where people seem to be on board we're still not seeing the volumes we need going into to climate finance so i think there is definitely a lot more to be done so no time for complacency i think the disconnect is really in that in some ways i would say alex it's also a little bit that we've had success So when you have uh, in the early days when we had feed in tariffs it was a very right. new sector and i think people kind of assumed that the risks were going to be very high and um and and then things turned out positively we were able to attract more financiers into the renewable energy space and also more developers came in um the risk perception of investing in renewable energy 2009 versus even 2019 right. a world of a difference right that made the bids more and more competitive and then it becomes a cost of capital issue where it's almost commoditized mm. and i think now uh, to keep that pace going uh, of course i have a very strong view which is that <laughs> you have to have new technologies that can help you get greater productivity faster scale up uh, bring down costs even more improve access Absolutely. even more and and that's the next trend that i see right um so yes you're right that there's still a lot more to be done and i'm hoping that the large institutional investors who are being um, more focused and everybody i think if you look at the world's gdp contributors 90% of the world's gdp contributors have some net zero target right and uh, i'm hoping that with that uh, there will be more and more large pools of capital coming into uh, renewable energy projects not just in india but you know africa's another continent where we really need to promote and and these are geographies which are blessed with great yeah, yeah. solar well, I, i think it's something like 60% of the, the world's top um solar re- radiation is in africa right. but they've only received um 3% of the world's investment in solar absolutely so so i'd love you to take through like this initial commercial project uh, you yes. talked about in india so this is when the technology was still new yeah. it was still expensive um there's still a lot of uncertainties around the technology how did you help finance those projects how did you help convince uh the lenders to say this is a this is a risk worth taking this is a bet worth taking when when solar was still new and exciting i think it was the conviction having seen it in other geographies 
and I'm a big believer in seeing is believing, right. uh, that convinced me that this was something, and not just me, there was a whole group of us who felt that there was a trend and we had to follow the trend. So that was one. Second, we found a great founder who had put everything that he had into the sector, had done as much research, homework, and as a disruptor, funnily right. enough, he came from outside the tech sector. He mm -hmm. was not a power guy. He was a tech guy in the Pritvadva. And he actually decided that India had a solar um, resource. We could really have this take off as a sector. And that's what he focused on. Um, I would say that really in terms of um, financing, that was one of, you know, when you say, when you talk about sustainable finance, it's not about just financing one project. Right. I mean, one has to really think more longer term in terms of what will make this sector take mm. off. Like you were financing this one project here. Yes. But this is, the idea was not just to have that one project. Exactly. It was to, to kind of build, help build the ecosystem, right? Right, help build the ecosystem. So we had to do a lot of work on regulations. Right. So we brought examples of where regulations had been successful to the government of India uh, and to some of the state governments specifically. Absolutely. And then the second was to get, as you rightly said, how do you get lenders to come in? So we spent a lot of time giving that comfort and confidence that we had developed, working right. with local lenders. So it wasn't just you funding, you had yes. partners, you brought yes. partners in, you crowded yes. in that, that private investment. Absolutely. And we spent a lot of time talking to other investors, sharing our due diligence and why we had conviction in right. the project. So uh, I don't know how it worked out for the farmer <laughs> because you had every... Uh, DF Development Finance Institute in the cap table, <laughs> but at the same time, it helped to create that ecosystem where people became familiar. And because the project was a success, then that usually attracts more financiers to come into Absolutely. the space. So I think that was one. The second was also to make sure that the regulatory system uh, stays consistent so that investors have the ability to say, okay, if I come in, this is what I'm going to be uh, facing and I need to sort of factor that in to be able to, uh, you know, reach the outcome that mm. you're hoping for. And for investors, that consistency is very important. So there was a time, if you remember, as the solar prices started coming down, they were existing feed-in tariffs and i remember some right. of the uh you know government side saying why do we have these high feed-in tariffs look at the mm. competitive tariff and i spent many hours uh convincing them that when these projects were done there was a certain cost of panels certain realities that made those projects viable only with that feed-in tariff and right. if they changed it then the whole sector would suffer. And thankfully, they heard that and then continued uh, and the sector evolved more and more. Yeah. Well, and you've been a, a great part of that. So, you know, thank you as, as someone, you know, much younger in the sector. Thank you for your work in, in laying that groundwork in solar. 
and helping it grow to the point now where where it is cost competitive. Yes. Um, which kind of brings me to your your current your current role at, at Adina, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where you know where solar was ten years ago. Yes. Rooftop solar. What's what are we looking at now? What's what's the next kind of technologies or, or companies uh, you're most excited about for the for the next ten years? So fortunately, now that we have large scale solar as mm. well as um, wind and electrification of mobility. Uh, I think it's the moment is right for technology to start playing a role in accelerating solutions. So you talked about the gap, you talked about the need to do more faster. And really, um, I feel convinced that technology is going to bring about that transformation that we need across sectors. Uh, So whether we are talking about uh, renewable energy, large solar farms, which can benefit from the use of AI and, um, you know, real-time data. And we often talk about um, uh, adaptability to climate change. And I think one of the biggest secret weapons that firms can have for adaptability, for responding fast to extreme weather conditions, etc., is to have real-time data and to Mm. learn from the feedback loop that data provides. And that's actually a measure of resilience also, in addition to other gains like productivity gains, lowering of costs, improving access to people. And uh, the technologies that we are focusing on on Edina is... um, more technologies that are uh, agnostic to, say, uh, battery chemistries in the case of mobility, but can be used across the board to improve performance, to improve safety, uh, to improve uh, data, the whole network effect of having data, uh, which tells you a lot about the performance of sectors. So a lot of these technology or AI solutions, they can be applied, you know, across the sector for e-mobility more generally, or for solar more generally, yes. or for storage more generally. Right. Um, and and we are focusing also on technologies, for example, of resource optimization. Hmm. So right from the design stage, as you're designing, uh, you know, a product that you're already thinking about, how do you recycle it? How do you sort of right. take advantage of bringing it back? into the the whole concept of circularity, right? Mm. And we are seeing really smart companies and technologies which help the OEMs and the incumbent firms to do that better. Yeah. So in a later episode, we're going to be talking a lot about kind of the hard tech and the physical innovations. Right. And those are absolutely important as well. But, But it seems like you're also very excited about kind of the software and taking some of this tech expertise that we built for fintech and edtech and these other sectors. And saying, how do we apply that that same kind of thinking in in climate tech? Absolutely. And, you know, if you think about it, uh, the fintech has in a way taken off. And today, you can't imagine a bank that doesn't have a (laughs) net banking feature, right? I mean, very basic, but every single bank in the world has that. And then, of course, there's a whole trajectory where there are some which are only online, etc. Absolutely. Because of COVID, I think health tech and edutech sort of got that Mm. um, sort of response of more usage, more innovation, and it became a virtuous 
circle in a sense of technology, healthcare, and education, you know, taking off. I think the sort of, and also consumer and retail businesses. Right. I think the last two bastions, as I see <laughs> it, is infrastructure and um, the built environment or right. real estate, as some may call it, where uh, there are a lot of advancements in technology and a lot we can learn from the fintech, health tech, edutech uh, firms, but which haven't been applied in these contexts. And I think that's the trend that we're going to see for many reasons. One, where I think the large uh, scale infrastructure is in some ways commoditized and it has become a cost of capital gain. So, and I'm very happy like yeah, investors like CDPQ and CPP and others have come into these sectors. Um, the, the other is I think that for infrastructure as climate change uh, takes its pace and if one has to address uh, extreme weather conditions, et cetera, having data becomes critical to right. survival. So the smarter firms will start adopting these technologies that enable them to have that kind of real-time data. Mm -hmm. And the third I see is really how do you uh, get more out of so doing more with less right. and that trend is going to also pick up much more dramatically right. so if you've got a solar asset or a wind asset or how, yeah. do you, how do you you know optimize to ensure that you're, you're getting the most out of it right and we have companies that we are seeing that are uh, demonstrated that they can improve productivity by three to eight percent with the same assets now right. Why wouldn't you want to do that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And so, okay, so you you know you're obviously at Adina, you're looking at a lot of different companies. Um, so if you're I'm a startup founder, and I you know want to get investment from a VC, what kind of factors are you looking for um, in terms of innovation, in terms of finance? What are you looking for in in startups or in projects? Um, what are you looking for? Invest? So I would say, and this is part of the training I've had as an investor, <laughs> that the most important thing is the founder, mm. uh, the quality, the commitment, the integrity and transparency. And I'd add a fifth uh, because I've seen many, many very passionate entrepreneurs is the ability to listen, the mm. ability to get feedback. And if you have all these five categories, that's very, very important in terms of even more than the technology. Because you can have very smart technology, but if you don't have those other five elements, uh, right. you can end up in a mess, as we've seen again and again, right? Yeah. Now I think there's there's yeah. a bit of a techno utopianism, right, where we yeah. assume okay, well the technology is better, therefore it will get adopted. Yeah. But it, it takes a lot yeah. more than just having a good yeah. technology. So I think one I would say very important is the founder. Then of course the technology and its applicability, and as you rightly put. Will it get adopted? And for that, it's also understanding the underlying sectors. And I think in sustainability, that's even more important than in any other sector because these are tough sectors and right. they have a big interface on the regulatory side. So you need to be sure that the regulations are there and that they stay consistent 
right? So you need to be able to assess that and also work proactively with the government to make sure that you bring in the right regulations that promote green. And um, the third area I would say is the fundamentals because for any business, and when I look back at when we started with solar Mm. and how it really became sort of scaled, the key factor was the fact that it made money. Right. And once uh, technology gets adopted and is commercially uh, profitable, then it attracts other investors, financiers, and capital. Yeah. So that's uh, something key to the success of these companies. So, so where are the gaps now, right? Because I mean, solar at the time, you know, ten years ago, it was not economic, but yeah. but now it is today. Yeah. But there's a lot of other kind of technologies that are perhaps not yet economic. How do we, you know, what technologies are those and how do we close those gaps? So, I mean, there are quite a few. If you take hydrogen, for example, right. where India especially has placed a lot of bets on through the hydrogen policy, green hydrogen policy. And I think when people look at a scaled substitute for oil and gas, mm. hydrogen comes in as a possibility. and the um, technologies, I think, are still emerging. They exist. And, you know, the electrolyzer technology, for example, there's been a lot of advancement made. The fact that you can produce green hydrogen, but you also need renewable energy to be able to do that. So one starts connecting the dots among the sustainable sectors, which for me is very exciting because I think you know, the fact that hydrogen, green hydrogen is being promoted will also give an impetus to green renewable energy being right. um, produced. And there's a new use case for it, if one might put it that way. Uh, in the case of hydrogen, for example, I think what the government is doing here in India is great in terms of having a policy, and I hope it gets rolled out. But the key, as I mentioned in the case of solar, is the cost. When does it get affordable? And uh, I'm hearing a lot that there is that downward trend already visible Mm. in green hydrogen. There are countries like the US, for example, that through the Inflation Reduction Act has given a huge impetus to hydrogen as a sector and green hydrogen in particular. So that in itself, I hope, will bring up even newer technologies that then bring down the cost and scale production, which will also bring down the cost. Right. So now, what about uh, certain technologies or geographies, for example, let's say in Africa, where mm-hmm. even for technologies like solar, financing is still a challenge, or, or new technologies um, like green hydrogen or like, I don't know, zinc batteries, where there's potentially financing is a bit more of a challenge because the, either the technology is unknown or, or the geography is known? How do we ensure that we get funding to, to these areas? So uh, talking about bringing these newer technologies to geographies, and you mentioned Africa, I think um, the, the most important thing is to create already the ecosystem for technologies like solar, which are well-proven mm-hmm. and have been scaled in other emerging markets. And in Africa itself, I Absolutely. Mean, when you look at countries like South Africa. And there again, you know, something, I'll sound a little bit like a broken record, but what 
led to the success of renewable energy in South Africa was the fact that very consistently there was, you know, repeated rounds of bidding for solar. So the first round, I think the pricing was like a 36 cents uh, unit. And by the fourth or fifth round, it was already down to 10 cents. So, Mm. you know, when you have consistency in policy and regulations and documentation, that in itself uh, brings about a great deal of comfort to both developers and investors that this is a predictable market and they can deploy their technology. So I think first and foremost would be to make sure that we can proliferate uh, solar, for example. And as you mentioned earlier in our chat, that there is, you know, 60% of the solar yeah. installation it's available. In the, top, the top sites. The top sites. So why not, right? right. And I think uh, demonstration is great. Uh, and I'll share a story with you. Uh, the president of Senegal, uh, this was when I worked in the World Bank, he was uh, not convinced that solar could be a scale solution. But then he had an opportunity to see what had been done firsthand in India. And that convinced him. And that started the first 200 megawatts of solar in Senegal. And I think uh, for decision makers in a lot of countries, seeing is believing. And that's why the kind of South-South sharing that one can do through organizations like the International Solar Alliance would be great because you can then really get different countries to learn from the experience of those who've done it before and do it even better. Right. But what about when it comes to, say, a new technology like, like, you know, say, Presento with their, their AI? For, for asset optimization, mm-hmm. you know, how do we get people, uh, is it regulators, is it utilities, to say, hey, there's this new technology, it's, it's worth adopting, right? I think uh, it has to make commercial sense for mm-hmm. the user because that's the motivating factor. You can have, uh, I, I don't know exactly from a regulatory point of view, but I think if it makes commercial sense for the user, that's when adoptability will take off. And I think, uh, you know, there's a very strong case if, as I was mentioning, if you can improve productivity by 5, 10%, that's fantastic using the same assets. Uh, Secondly, the importance of data uh, and having that real-time data and being able to be predictive, being able to be uh, reactive very quickly in real time. These are all benefits which I see these AI-based technologies bringing in. And uh, to get that to be adopted, I think one needs to have scale. Mm. Because if you're looking at 10 megawatts of solar, you can go physically and inspect and make corrections. But when you're talking about a gigawatt, it's a different story. Then it makes a lot of sense. So I would say scale followed by these technologies. And I'm I'm very confident that they will get adopted. But but to get to that scale, you need you need financing, right? You need money to to get to that scale. Yes. Are are you know our VCs or private equity funds our development institutions kind of ready to step up and provide that equity and, and debt financing to help these new emerging technologies scale? I, I think 
they will uh, for sure because a lot of uh, development finance institutions the world bank i think has been asked to redefine itself as a green mm-hmm. bank so <clears throat> there will be more and more effort to try and find projects that fit that measure as i mentioned there's a large uh, proportion of the world's gdp that's committed to net zero right. targets and i also think that the most important thing is that a lot of the large financiers have earmarked that their financing their money will go towards um, green projects so Absolutely. either reducing emissions or doing new projects which are green in nature and then um, i also think there's the whole trend of demand mm. so young people like you alex <laughs> are much more conscious than we we were in our growing years we the big sign of success was being able to buy a car or right. a house i know that uh people in your generation are looking to buy an ev uh, <laughs> well actually i as funny story here i actually had planned to buy an ev uh-huh. and then i started using using blue smart which is a which yeah, is again yeah, a startup yeah, in the yeah. ev space and, and now said, i said you don't need an ev i don't need an ev <laughs> yeah. because because the you know because yeah. the ai and because yeah. the the advances of technology has made yeah. it so convenient uh, yeah. for me as a user exactly that's a great I example do you you know and that's the way we will go is services that are being provided in a green and sustainable yeah. way the the success of uh, the blue smart uh, network is really speaking to the fact that there are people like you who have choices mm-hmm. and you're making that choice and i see that in fact there are surveys which say particularly in india uh gen z has a higher propensity for buying sustainable products sustainable services right. so that gives me a lot of hope as well because when demand changes industry starts adapting okay but the boomers still control the banks though <laughs> so are, are they going to finance <laughs> well, the companies well, that are providing there are some old folks <laughs> who do believe in yeah. sustainability and i mean look you're from canada yeah. look at the maple leaf that control about 2 trillion these are actually the savings uh, the retirement savings right. of ordinary canadians and here this money is being invested in in a very responsible manner i would say to green not only canada but the rest of the world That's and okay. the in india itself there's about you know i would say among all the pension funds and institutional investors at least 5 billion dollars that have gone in to renewable energy so um, the the heart of the question though is is that good enough do right. we need to go faster and you're absolutely right and i that's something where i feel really the urgency and that's why i left mm. my cushy job to <laughs> found edina because i really felt along with my co-founders that we should put our money where the mouth is right. and support these technologies because i think the technologies can really provide accelerated solutions absolutely and it's the only thing that addresses the urgency yeah aspect well and the pension funds can do big projects once they're established but this right. this newer kind of the yeah. new series a series exactly. b funding getting yeah. that 3 million dollar 5 million dollar check yeah. um 
you know and and also hand holding the companies in terms of being able to mm. build institutions and organizations so there's a lot of enthusiasm around the technology right. but you also need to build that institutional strength you need to be able to i think be globally competitive Absolutely. that's very very important in these technologies and thankfully technology has no boundaries and borders so if it works here it could work in the rest of the yeah. world right and that to me is the big success factor for a lot of these technology companies will be to have a global market right and i think you know you know i look at say a tech company if you're a social media company you can move fast and break things because yeah. if someone's social media feed breaks then you yeah. you do a new update and you fix yeah. it right yeah whereas we're talking climate tech when we're talking yeah. about someone's vehicle yeah. or someone's power grid or someone's building yeah. or a farmer's uh, crop, crop or your water supply you can't move fast and break things right right and so this is where where institutions like edina yeah. you can help provide that equity capital but also help coach uh, yeah. companies yeah. to help provide services in the climate tech without breaking the, yes. the existing systems yes. right and also to really know the challenges for the people who have the assets on the ground who need to adopt these technologies what will make a technology tick or mm. not where will that adoption come where will that scale come and knowing the underlying industry and the kind of you know cycles they go through is very very important otherwise you can lose heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this was a, f a fantastic conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you you taking the time. We've just got one last uh, bonus question for you. Uh, who is your favorite scientist or inventor of all time? So actually, I'm I'm going to say that I'm a big fan of all the women scientists. Okay. <laughs> because whenever I've read their stories, and there are many in India to start with. Okay. Um, give, me a name. give me a name. <laughs> okay. uh, one woman that I really admire a lot is Kamala Sarohi. So she was a botanist and uh, mm. studying plant cells. And um, she, in fact, was trying to do uh, further studies and made a proposal to the Indian Institute of Science uh, back in like 1932 oh, wow. and got rejected. Uh, but she was lucky because in the process, she met C.V. Raman, who right. is a famous Indian scientist, and he kind of took her under his wing. And she did amazing work on the oxidization of plant cells, oh, wow. uh, which really <laughs> furthered the field. So the reason uh, <clears throat> why I'm a big fan, and I, I've seen in my own time, mm. uh, my closest friend from undergraduate college is a scientist, and she's been working on these rare diseases similar to Alzheimer's. And I just see the amount of devotion, dedication, the research that goes into uh, coming up with uh, something which then after 30 years or 35 years of work, you could say, okay, I've made one step towards addressing a disease or a research right. problem. And a, a lot of the women in science still face a tough time in terms yeah. of acceptability, in terms of being taken seriously, mm. in terms of having resources to do research, to run their own labs. So... I take my hats off to yeah. all the women scientists. 
Absolutely. And that tenacity to stick through, you know, that yeah. additional barrier on top of yes. these expectations. Um, right. It's really, really fantastic. Yes. And I, I, I like that this example is so specific. I think, you know, you think of a challenge like climate tech, we need so many different technologies. We need so many different people working on so many different solutions. Yeah. Uh, we need an expert in this very you know, niche area and that area and that area. And then we all yeah. need to, to work together. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This was a pleasure and a delight. Likewise, Alex. <laughs> Such a and uh, and I hope we can uh, continue the conversation. Hope so too. And the work. All the best. <laughs> thank you. Well, that's a wrap for the first episode of the Energy Disruptors podcast. Thanks so much for joining us with this super insightful episode uh, with Anita George, who's has incredible depth of experience in this space, and I'm uh, wishing her all the best of luck with uh, Adina Capital. In the next episode of Energy Disruptors, we'll speak with Rishu Ranjan, Global Head of Weather and ECM at Swiss Re Corporate Solutions, about the risks and opportunities in the changing energy world. Uh, tune in next week to gain valuable insights into the intersection of energy, finance, and climate. Thanks, everyone.